This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Book Reports. I am Book Report or Book Reports. Book Report. I'm sorry. Have you been introduced yet? I am always here. Okay, true. I am Adam, joined as always by your master teacher, Caitlin. What's up, Kate? Hello. So, Book Report. Is this the Book Report or Book Reports? In my head, it's just Book Report, singular. Yeah, this segment is called The Book Report, or this episode is called The Book Report. Wow, you're all fancy and you're putting the, like an actual article in front of it? And what are you trying to be? Book uh, Report? Justin Timberlake from Social Network telling me to drop the the? Yeah. Just call it Facebook. Mic drop, but in fact, I I won't mic drop though, because you would be very angry with me if I dropped this mic. Even though I gave you the cheaper (laughs) mic. Uh, So welcome to another edition of... Book report. <laughs> the book report. Whatever. I digress. Um, We're here to talk about Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. What, what, what? Now, this is a, a weird one. Caitlin and I even debated whether or not we should do this book report. Yeah, because it, it was a one shot. It's We have two episodes, but still, it felt wrong to not do some kind of book report so it's kind of to meet it halfway tonight is going to be a little more relaxed a little tell them how we look right now hon tell them how (laughs) how we're posturing we we're both sitting in our living room adam is stretched out on the couch on one side legs up and crossed at the ankle Mm -hmm. and i am in a rocking chair a mere five, six feet away from him. My feet also up and ankles crossed. With a blanket. I, <laughs> with a blanket, like the old woman I am. I I was born middle-aged and I've just been getting closer and closer to that. You're just catching up to it. Yeah, I'm Your just body's catching, catching up, up right now. to itself. And I ha- we both have our mugs of tea next to us. We, we're feeling cozy and we hope by the end of this, you too. This is the most relaxed I think I've cozy. ever been coming into recording something. And hopefully... Uh, we just have the vibe set right. So hope you're joining us with some coffee and some tea, uh, maybe a beer, whatever tickles your fancy. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's that brisk time of autumn setting in. Mm. We have our pumpkin surrounding us. So I, I'm I'm already the just mood nice set. and happy. But like My belly s- full of stew. That's right. This is a good evening. Uh, but like you said, it felt wrong 
to not discuss the book. We've always done it. And I think we've had some, some of the island adventures have been, I think the last, what was the last island? Was that Robinson Crusoe? Mm -hmm. That was just two episodes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of our kind of islands. At the island ones. And we did that book. Intermediate so it felt, chapters. It just felt or weird that, yeah. or incomplete to not do it. And plus, we always just love getting an excuse to uh, hop on together and talk and give you some more delicious content for your ear holes. So, <laughs> hope you all enjoy this little uh, possibly truncated uh, conversation. But you know what? I think we'll. We'll still give you plenty of go the goods. We'll deliver the goods. Or I shouldn't say we, mainly Caitlin. You're in this too. I'm we'll we'll this dig up some goods. Okay, so Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. As always, can you just give me, um, I don't know, would you rather start with your general thoughts on the book or do you want to go into the history? I'll I'll go a little bit into the history and the context of the book. I'll start off with that. So okay. we're looking at a book. It's published in, I think, 1883. If any of you want to fact check me on that, please do. It, it's definitely one of those where I have, I didn't go as, as, I didn't delve as deeply into the research this time, kind of because it, it was one of those where we're doing it very quickly. I found you had to create a one shot within mm -hmm. like two days. And yeah, so, and we're gonna have yeah. a whole segment on that too. Yes, we're, we're gonna we talk about that. So this is not gonna be my typical deep dive uh, for multiple reasons, and the only reason I will say right now is because it was just a very short time uh, to prepare, and so I did find uh, important information. But if any of you want to fact check that on me, and they're like, "It's 1886, not 1883," I'm like, "Right, you are." <laughs> send us on. an email. Yeah, send us an email. If that's if that's what it takes to get you talking to us, I'm very happy about that. I, I love fact checkers. That means they're paying attention and listening. So, a bit on the background of this, um, it's. It's considered one, it's just, it's a classic adventure story written in English, uh, 1881. There we go. 1881. I have it actually in my notes. There we go. As if you doubted yourself. How could you doubt yeah. yourself? But, but what I, what I do appreciate about it is that it just, it transcends the time. It, it, it's, it's still a story people hearken to again and again for a good reason. It's just a classic adventure story with a classic premise. And that is, there's buried treasure. And what people will do to get to said buried treasure, um, and it's it's a page turner. I mean, it, I I had to quickly skim it to prepare the adventure and find good quotes in two days, but it was an easy one to to read through. A lot of the main conflicts of the story, uh, especially with just like some backstabbing and mutiny, and mm -hmm. you know, people switching sides, and not exactly understanding who's the bad guy and who's the good guy with the exception of our 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 dear main character just yeah i i personally really enjoyed it so real quick can you do me a favor can you tell mm -hmm. me what the book's about because i'm pretty sure i've only seen the muppet treasure island and that was <laughs> which when is I was a good a, which is when i was a kid mm -hmm. So I know I and had Muppet Tim Treasure Curry. Island is is a great rendering of it. Just like the Muppet Christmas Carol is a great rendering Fantastic. of that classic work, so is this one. So if you've seen Muppet Treasure Island, but I'm Island, also currently you know watching the story. with our child. I'm currently in the middle of Treasure Planet, and they both are going to go find some treasure. Mm -hmm. And there's ships and 
and <laughs> backstabbing. But can you give me a quick and me in, in the audience if they haven't read it, kind of a quick synopsis of or kind sure. of like what sure, the book's sure, about sure. before you dive more? Yeah, I'm just yeah, curious yeah, yeah. myself. So it, the, the story opens with this this old sailor. He calls himself the captain, but his real name is awesome name that I, I want to use as for an NPC in the future. Billy Bones. How is that so, not included? <laughs> how did I not it? include that? I know. Uh, but he he comes to lodge at this place called the Admiral Benbow Inn on the English coast. And it's set in the mid-1700s. And our main character, Jim Hawkins, uh, he is the innkeeper's son. Is that Kermit the Frog? In, <laughs> in, no, uh, Jim Hawkins in the Muppets one is played by a human. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, that's how He's long. See, it's how mm-hmm. far removed I am from it. And then there's a Jim Hawkins in Treasure Planet too. So oh, okay. You, pretty much, that's your main character that you follow. Just like in, in Muppet Christmas Carol, your your Scrooge character is played by my cocaine. Uh, mm-hmm. So they keep that with the the human entity. Uh, but anyways, the, when we first meet him, this guy, Billy Bones, he asks him to keep a lookout for seafaring men. And it turns out just uh, that he has a map um, that's been to this hidden secret treasure. And it's found out and they get a crew together and they're going to go find this treasure. And Jim joins. So one of the people that's on the crew is... Uh, long john silver oh okay and he is uh he he's posing as like he he's kind of like this peg leg cook uh and turns out he is a pirate and they lead a mutiny on this ship and then they get to only once they get to the island do they start the mutiny and so you have this splitting of groups of some of them are like the admiral and the the actual like uh, I guess you can say like official Englishmen who are running this this crew who are taken over by these former pirates and Jim kind of goes back and forth between the two groups because both are pretty crooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see kind of darkness in both sides. You see like lying and backstabbing and cheating on both sides. Um, and somehow <laughs> Jim Hawkins with his sort of innocence and his you know go-getter attitude he he's able to thwart both sides and and find a few good people to align himself with and he's one of the few at the end who not only survives because a lot of people die in this there's a there's a significant body count in this in this story uh it always makes me think of the beginning of disneyland's pirates of the caribbean ride adventure Mm mm-hmm when you first enter it you see like this landscape of these skeletons that obviously died like mid-fight like one of them with a rapier in his back and the other one's like pinned against a tree and part of the treasure like you see this empty treasure chest there it it all this is actually i would say really easily inspired by scenes from treasure island um but in the end uh he basically uses his like smarts and his innocence and kind of that romantic ideal of the youth um youthful energy and vibrance and wisdom um, and then he and a few others are able to find said treasure and make it off the island before they're killed by um, Silver and his men. And really, it's it's a happy ending, but at the same time, at the end, there's a lot of commentary through the eyes of of Jim Hawkins of was it actually worth it? Mm. <laughs> you know, they they have a chance to find the second part of the treasure and go back and get it, and he's like, nope. Not doing that again. I'm, I've had my adventure. I've had my fill. 
I'm never going to go for that again. Is uh is the treasure just your run of the mill gold or jewels? Yes, it is. It is. It is a large, significant amount of treasure that sets them up. Uh, a lot of it is. It seems it's. I mean, when I was re re scanning it, it was like in coins and stuff. But uh, it kind of reminded me of you know the the Aztec gold from with Captain Barbosa and the mm. crew of the Black Pearl once again in. in Pirates of the Caribbean. There were so many things where as I was reading this, I'm like, this reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean. So right. It's going to be a lot of crossover with that. So is the idea that you were following this boy mm-hmm. who goes on this thing, maybe kind of wide-eyed or, and and then as he kind yes. of realizes that it's not worth it, is that the kind of arc that he takes? Is that what the story yeah, is about? Yeah, kind of that, that innocence and naivete to... Having not really a loss of innocence, he's, he kind of maintains a lot of that through the end. Uh, which is typical for a book that's written in this this era. This isn't the life for him. Yeah. He's like, I've had my adventure. I'm glad I did it. And now I can come back and be different. Um, But, and and not have to like continue on the life that I was expected to have, which is running this in where I was just downtrodden and unhappy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that whole, that arc of the, the hero, you know, leaving the call to adventure going and changing and coming back but you're a completely different person gotcha you see that so it's the classic heroes heroes journey all right thanks for kind of just giving me kind of a found me and the listener people who haven't read the book a kind of a little foundation it is a quick read so if you have not read this yeah definitely go it it is shorter than gatsby um no it took me a little longer than gatsby but so it's not like a full-on novella but it is a quick one uh it's almost the same length as Gatsby. I'd have to Couple look that up. Pages, I'd have to look like that up. Two, yeah, it is meant to be quick. It's meant to be like a, an adventure story that, I, I mean, I've seen it assigned in middle school and freshman year classes, which tells you it's meant to kind of be an intro to gotcha. classic literature. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be a slog. So yes, I, I highly recommend reading this. By the way, if you're into adventure stories or things that have inspired a lot of, if you like pirates. Let's just say that if you like pirates and you like a lot of the adventure stories that take place at sea, this is the prototype of that. It's just so archetypal of adventure stories at sea that you see in movies. And I, I would even say like it reminds me a lot of Black Flag for Assassin's Creed. A lot of oh, just uh-huh. this concept of violence at sea and how to do combat and then searching for something hidden our flag means death mm -hmm, and then oh definitely if you love our flags means death (laughs) uh even like riddles and figuring out what something on the map means which was fun to watch you guys work through because the riddle i used is the riddle from the book oh cool so i didn't come up with that it's just what they had in there uh, and seeing how you handled it okay Let's not swerve over five lanes of traffic just to, just to run me over. By the way. God, I was terrible at that. That was embarrassing. I re-listened to it recently. I don't know if that was worse or me being so dead set on doing that stupid uh, singing part. The yo-ho-ho and a bottle that, of rum, which we, is taken we, from this, this book. That we never got, and I idiotically thought we could time perfectly on Zoom. Anyways, yeah, you bo- forgot about the delay. I forgot about the delay, so even I sounded off. It was all terrible. Um, but yeah, you you mentioned how this is a uh, a book you recommend, and it's and it's um, fast paced adventure. So much kind of has been 
maybe the bones of the or the, the the structure of this book has been used time and time again. And so there's probably a reason why people like it so much because I mean that's part of the reason why we did this one shot of you right. doing this book. Um because people kept asking for us to do this book somehow. Yeah, so so that's one thing that I regularly do in the the mid-roll is that I will invite you guys to reach out to us and even give us suggestions for stories. And that is one story that pops up again and again and again uh, on Twitter, uh, through email, even in interactions on Discord. Uh, and now but, I can see why, because mm-hmm. it's, it's very, like the structure is there to do an adventure, go on an adventure to go find uh, a treasure. Mm-hmm. Like that's basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was, yeah. you know, you guys are already on an island. Exactly. So it, it fits, it fits the, both the setting and it also fits the genre. Of, of what we were looking for. Audience, Caitlin really painted herself into a corner that she's still doing well in, but she wanted every island adventure to have like, <laughs> just be like an island story. And island so story so or have some iteration of the word Robin in it. So we had Robin Hood, Robinson that's Crusoe. True. That's true. That's what it was. Yeah. Robin, Robin Hood, Robinson Crusoe. I've um, got another one coming. That's right. <laughs> that also has the word Robin in it. Spoilers. 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 Oh, spoilies. Uh, okay, so uh, going back, because I interrupted you about more of like the history of, of Robert Louis Stevenson and mm-hmm. this book being made. So yeah, it, it's set in the mid-1700s, um, first along the coast of Western England and then in the seaport of Bristol. Um, but then it takes you really quickly. It, it's, a, it's a fast-paced book, so it doesn't really like drag its feet which is nice so very quickly you're taken then to the high seas and then finally to some remote and secret islands where the quest for the pirate treasure takes place and then back to england uh but it you're quickly moving from place to place and rereading it as i did so I, i had the last time i read treasure island was probably my freshman year of college um, but to reread it was was just really uncomplicated. That's the best way I can put it. It was a pleasure to go through a lot of the the scenes, and they felt familiar. Is the language not as dense as like some of the previous books we've gone over? I mean, you could tell definitely it was written in the 1800s, but it's not over flowery, which is great because Stevenson is is really actually he's really good at writing action. He's really good at writing. Uh, a lot of the the dual scenes and mm. the the mutiny it's it's being planned and ways that you can overhear of these plans through Jim Hawkins and and kind of just setting up that that tension that suspense of what's going to happen next um, without getting lost in I don't know half these words mm, which mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm going to have a section on here tonight of words that I learned and phrases oh, that wow. were pretty cool especially if any of you want to talk like a after like a pirate, like a seafarer, like a like a pirate, like a seaman. You said it. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but as context for this time frame, you you have like between about so the story does take place during the 1700s, and and specifically, I'm thinking of the Queen Anne, Queen's Anne's Wars, uh, which is when Pirates of the Caribbean takes place okay. as well. Uh, but more specifically, between the years 1713 and 1725-ish, you had like thousands of pirates just prowling the Atlantic Sea. And in 1717 alone, American colonial officials put the number at approximately 1,500 pirate ships that were waiting off the eastern coast of North America. Wow. Um, And they would often take advantage of like commercial trade ships um, that came from everywhere, not just from the Americas or to Britain. 
Uh, so a lot of these ships that were mercantil- they would go that far. They would go all the way to the states and would be just off the. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because they're trading with Britain at that time. Okay, I don't know why mm-hmm. I assumed they were always just kind of closer to mm-hmm. the coast of. Oh no, they like were they were transatlantic. Europe. Yeah, okay. so a lot of these these ships they were easy pickings for pirates, uh, and a lot of that actually had to do because. Uh, a lot of the crew on those ships, they were really badly treated and poorly paid. And so when these merchant ships were captured by pirates, a lot of the crew were like, I'm coming with you. Like, oh, I'm wow. done. Like, it, it, this is crap. Uh, so you had a lot of people who would just happily join, which made me a lot of, uh, made me think a lot of um, our flag means death. A lot of people are like joining on a lark almost like, yeah, fine. The lifestyle. This looks being, better. Being I, I'd rather do this. Yeah. I, I'd rather have, I'd rather have what I think is, is my freedom and, you know, take spoils of war than have to serve under somebody who is treating me as if I'm in military and yet I'm not, and I'm, I'm poorly paid and the conditions are horrible. And I've just gone on this transatlantic journey whereas we get to kind of just stay in the same area and go from port to port um but it was a hard life uh, most uh, most people who took part in piracy um they were like dead crippled blind or just retired before the age of 40 um it it was a lot easier in some cases than those who were on merchant vessels or uh, in the military at this time, and a lot more fun. <laughs> you, can, mm-hmm. you, you had a, a lot of them who who talked about how good of a time they had if they survived, um, especially compared to like Navy crewmen or merchant sailors. But it was still a hard and dangerous life, and so a lot of it you would see a lot of young men. They would require you know energy and fitness, and so to see any characters that were above the age of forty, like someone like Long John Silver, that was very rare. And so if you saw a pirate still at sea who was older, they immediately just were respected and feared because like because they, they were in it for, long. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were in it in for that long. a very volatile line of work. Exactly. Um, so Jim in this, in this story, he's like 13 or something. And so it's, it's actually not that off to have somebody that young going on a voyage like he did. Um, you know, of course, people didn't live as long, too. And, you know, at 13, at least physically so, you were considered pretty much an adult, a, a, oh, wow. a, a man at that time. Um, and so really when he's offered to go on a voyage, um, yeah, young young men, young boys, really, they're 13 um, at that age, they would have jumped at the chance. And so um, that might have been like the only chance he would get in his lifetime. So you have a lot of these like calls to adventure that would happen in real life for young men. Um, and they would immediately go because there were a lot of people who would then fill these cities who, if you actually talk to them, a lot of them would have gone on a random adventure like that when they were much younger to come back and retire from sea life before age 30 and then pick up a trade. And so it, it would have been fascinating to walk through the streets of you know, a city like Bristol, England or something and talk to the local cobbler or the pie maker and find out, yeah, when I was 12, I was Mm. on a pirate ship for like three years and found something and got enough treasure to start up this business. And here I am. And then you wouldn't know it by looking at me. So Stevenson, knowing that, would go around talking to people, his family, in, in fact, 
had a lot of experience with seafarers. He came from a family that their trade was in lighthouses. Um, he was one of the few in his family to leave that trade. But they would gather a lot of stories from from sailors, from people who would be at sea. And so he he knew that it is very likely, it's not just a romantic ideal of someone young going off on adventure, much like you would have in Dungeons and Dragons, which if you think about it, a lot of the people that we play in Dungeons and Dragons have this call to adventure mm-hmm. and they go around yeah. for a bit and then come back and then pick up another life, you know, kind of like if you make it. And so it wouldn't be like that's unrealistic. So it's both romantic and realistic at the same time, which I appreciated. Like it's not completely just all imaginative. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like it's tapping in as that, that kind of innate or that very human instinct of like the call to adventure and wanting to go out on adventure and maybe naively when you're that young, not knowing how dangerous it right. is, but you just you feel the call of like the mm-hmm. seas or whatever. Do you yeah. think is, I was thinking do you think there's a modern day equivalent of that of the, whatever age it is where it's like the call to adventure I don't know what the the closest mm. I could think of in my mind was graduating from high school or college and going like backpacking across like Europe or something yeah that that's definitely that a good time like to romantic. go off the beaten track is like once you graduate from something be it high school or even undergrad you know, there are people who you're expected to take the next step, right? You graduate from high school, you're expected to go to college, uh, be it two year or four year or go to a trade school or start working, right? And then if you go to college, as soon as you graduate, what are you going to do now? Are you going to go to grad school? Or are you going to enter the workforce? And so to do something out of the ordinary could be seen as adventure, which is taking a gap year or just traveling yeah. or picking up something that's not like a... a normal seeming job uh that's not lucrative or you know kind of going along with that capitalistic endeavor of making money for yourself and seeing being seen as successful in society so i would say like that that's definitely a sense of adventure that we have now i mean we do have pirates but i do not think it's in the same vein as we would have in this story so we don't have a lot of young people who are like i'm Joining the pirates, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just sounds like um, that call to adventure, and like we were talking about, maybe modern day is going around Europe. It's uh, there is something like just romantic, like you said. That what I think is the proper word. I mean, there's something romantic about the idea of of wandering mm-hmm. and getting lost and being aimless. And trying to discover yourself in that. Right. And we have a lot of people who still do that. Like, oh, yeah. Trying to find myself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Like, what, was the, what would that be, modern day equivalent be? And, well, granted, I'm talking to, I'm, I'm thinking about as an American, the idea of backpacking across Europe is that. But I wonder if people in Europe, is it backpacking across America or I don't I wonder or somewhere else is it hey, just if you're a listener somewhere? who does not live in the U.S. please let us know please let what, us know what, what would it's be, like what would you. be the equivalent yeah uh educate us yes please tell us real quick uh kind of on the last thing about the book uh Robert Louis Stevenson mm-hmm. what else did he write what's his other popular uh I thought there was another popular book that you said that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has another popular book. So the other popular. So he he first entered the world stage and people started to notice him because of Treasure Island. 
But the book that really set him apart was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. What? So, so he was noticed because of Treasure Island, but he became famous uh, gotcha. through Jekyll and Hyde. I, I ask because uh, I, I tend to shift at this point to kind of like the significance. Like, why should people read this book? Like, why is this still around and talked about today? And I didn't know if that was either the subject matter or if it was Robert Louis Stevenson and his writing style, perhaps. You know, I don't think it's anyone like Stevenson isn't one of those where I'm going to gush over his writing style or anything that is so singularly his. I think he's just an excellent storyteller. I, I think because he he's known as a gothic writer and a romantic writer. He kind of crosses both of those. Like he's more gothic in Jekyll and Hyde. He's more romantic in Treasure Island and some of his earlier works too. But, you know, and they're like two sides of the same coin, really. You know, gothic is an offshoot of romantic, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's, it's really, it is a prototype of a classic adventure story. If you like adventure stories, if you like pirates even, if you want some great ideas too for running your own tabletop role-playing game and you want to create a one-shot, this is an awesome one to read. And it's quick and to the point, it keeps moving. And I really appreciate that for someone who was writing at a time that people were very flowery with their words and very condensed in the description of the flora and fauna and people's emotions and he does a good job of describing things but then he moves on so this isn't a a herman melville moby dick where you're you're slogging through and you're getting into the minutiae of the ongoings of a ship he's more interested in should you or shouldn't you trust this adult figure mm. from the point of view of a of a boy and seeing both um you know the, the light and dark of different different authority figures even there's even a point where you you sympathize with long john silver as horrible as he acts in here and i appreciate that i i appreciate any story that gives you a nuanced antagonist and you'll see that in this book yeah it, it sounds interesting it sounds like it sounds like something that you would think would be a knock against it from people who were reading it at the time about maybe perhaps not being as flowery or what was considered maybe quote unquote great literature at the time. If it was more flowery, you know, uh, verbiage or whatever. So, but it sounds like people just took to it. Was it more yeah. of like just people love the action adventure? Yeah, He was, he was a writer that did well for, for when he was alive. He, huh. he, he enjoyed renown and good payment while he was still writing and while he was alive. Was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde similar style of writing? Action, very action oriented? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, I think he experimented more with the idea of internal struggle, man versus man, or sorry, man versus self versus external struggle, man versus man and man versus nature. Mm-hmm. So it's, it seems like a more mature version of Robert Louis Stevenson. Like he's been writing and he's been getting older and more introspective. It seems uh, redundant at this point to have my last question of whether or not you recommend this. Sounds like you do. Sounds like you, Mm -hmm. it's a simple read. Sounds like it's a fun read. 
It is, yeah. And especially if you find yourself to be a reader is like, ah, classic literature is not for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I look at all of them and they're just like thick books that I don't want to get through. I highly recommend then Treasure Island is, is a good one to kind of dip your toe into if you're still unsure of yourself as a reader of classic literature. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for walking us through that portion of the book and the history. And now I want to pivot. Pivot. Pivot towards the Of Mice and Men and Monsters references sure. that you pulled. What, what are some Easter eggs, some things that you pulled from the book and, then, and that you threw in that one shot? It was a quick one, so I, I didn't go as deep into this, so it's not layers upon layers. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't make Mary Berry proud with my layers. But uh, at the very the beginning... Scones, the scones, was that not a part <laughs> of it? I was wondering why you included scones at the beginning. I just was feeling scones. But what I did mention is that they got a new cook on board. And that's how they bring John Silver on board. He's a cook. So we, we might see more of this, this. But we haven't seen John Silver. You haven't seen him, but oh, but, he's but they named. said they they picked up someone uh, new on the Pequod. Ooh, so we may or may not see John Silver in the future. We'll see. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the riddle that's on the paper that tells you where to find said treasure is I just plucked that directly from the pages, so that's that's straight on there. Were the characters in the book confused too? And tried to use <laughs> they, the, they uh, did tried to use the uh, not telescope. What's the thing called? The little. Uh, Short thing that to look through. Periscope? No, not periscope. No, it, it didn't. You guys use a telescope. A telescope is looking at the stars. I thought. Oh no, a looking no. glass. Let's just call it a looking, looking glass. glass. Yeah, whatever that a spy was. Spy glass. Looking spy glass. glass. Whatever. They yeah. didn't use that to to look into like into the skeleton into the. They eye did hole. not. Uh, I don't remember that. It could happen to anybody. <laughs> Happen to the Maybe best there's of something us. edged in here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, but it, it's the same. So the, that little brain teaser I just took from from the story, which is you know nice to be able to do. It's like, hey, they already have yeah a riddle here. Who who doesn't love a good riddle? Was it pretty? Was and you mentioned the yo ho ho. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum is from there. Uh, you have a lot of the pirates. Sing that? Is there like yep, a, it's is, just one of those just drunkenly like Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, where it's like, and now let's sing for a little bit. <laughs> not, not that in depth. It doesn't take like a page and a half to go through it, but you do have them just kind of drunkenly walking and swaying and singing it uh, to themselves a lot. Uh, and then some descriptions of the the flora as you're walking to you know just the trees Mm, and mm -hmm. um coming up on the embankment the outcropping of rocks i just was taking a lot of that description the the topographical description of where you're traveling and wanted to give color to you know your walk so it's just like as you get from point a to point b i didn't want to belabor it with too many things or roles or narration but i did want to give it some pop of of description for the mind's eye and so i i took from robert lewis stevenson there anything else that you can think of that maybe you pulled i know like you said it was a one shot and it sounds like the main thing you were pulling was just the same kind of bones of you're you're gonna go find treasure yeah here's a map yeah go on the adventure yeah yeah I like it. Yeah, you you took what you needed to to put throw together a one shot very quickly. Yeah, and people like uh, uh, 
just a sudden deluge and oh is they have the sudden storm the feeling of being stranded and they play never have i ever on the boat (laughs) that was one of those i'm like that'd be fun and then we actually get to the scene i'm like okay this is this is more i've made it more complicated unnecessarily (laughs) i thought this would be simple but no we're getting deep and you guys did a great job of of role playing through that it was definitely one of those where you threw it back at me. You're like, all right, you first. It's like, oh, I did not think this through. I just, I gave you the scenario, but I did not have a <laughs> would you rather in mind. Uh, but there is just a, you know, we're, we're stuck here and we're starting to unload some of our, our own traumas or a little bit about ourselves. And you have this, this scene where Jim Hawkins is stuck with, uh, with Long John Silver. And he hates him at this point and mm. yet is fascinated by him, too. And then he sees a vulnerable part of him that, you know, one of those scenes that makes you kind of see a more fleshed out version of the antagonist. So they're not so two dimensional, not so just you hate them and you you don't care about anything that they're thinking of. Mm-hmm. You understand more motive behind them. Can I just say that. I am embarrassed for our game and for all D&D games that include a mage hand. And the mage <laughs> hand is meant to just be the size of an actual hand. How un how Dungeons and Dragons of is that? It's like, here's a tiny hand. It's like, no, I want this gl- big ass glowing mammoth size hand that's it's like the hand of a magic user and you sir as a magic user it's your hand <laughs> that's why when you look at the description it's only able to lift a certain I've like was it five the, pounds the TV ten show, pounds vox machina and when that bard is doing a mage hand with a middle finger that middle finger is massive it is massive and majestic. That's the beauty of house rules, right? Yeah. If, if it's not going to break the game, then by all means, make the hand whatever make my shape hand you bigger, want. Then. <laughs> I want a big hand. That Okay, you have a big hand, but it still can only lift a certain amount of poundage. That's fine. Yeah. That's what it looks It seems goofy to be like, it's the size of like, it's like a floating Adam's family, whatever, a little tiny Yeah, I don't hand. think that does any any damage, but then it would be more noticeable. So if you ever... It would be. Yes, it would be. Hey, it's like, there's drawbacks. There's benefits and drawbacks, but if it makes you enjoy the game that much more and you're able to describe it so much more readily, then I, as your DM, am completely fine with you having a big-ass hand. You heard it here, folks. Bertram's mage hand is massive. Wow, you you really are focused on having a large hand. I that's I'm gonna leave it off at I that. I just think. <laughs> I just think feet. it's more theatrical. You know what? I'm a fan of theatrics. The theater. The theater. I the get theater. It. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to pivot now towards the Q&A section. This is another reminder out there that uh, you should really join our Patreon. uh, Oh, ma'am, ma'am, fam. Because we uh, pull from there first for questions that come in. And we try and 
give a thanks that way for people who are helping support our show. So if you want to do that, and we'll mention this again later at the end of the podcast, but there'll be a link below in our description. So that way you can go there. And if you send questions in or reach out to us, we'll engage with you in our discord or online and uh, any questions you send us there, they will be the first ones that we read. And so with that, uh, our first question comes from our Patreon member who goes by Operatic Muddle. Yes. And he asks, I think it's mainly meant to you, Kate. Uh, how do you coax out creativity from someone who's nervous about creativity or leaving their box? I realized a while ago that when I started my homebrew, I was the, I was the one making the decisions for them. But I've learned that that could tune my players out a little bit unintentionally. So I'm trying to find new ways to engage my players in world building to give ownership to them as well. Yeah, so I I have this, you know, th- this has happened time and time again. And th- this isn't just on, ju- this isn't just in the venue of tabletop role-playing games. You, I see this in the classroom all the time. So this is a wonderful area where I have seen crossover between my job as a teacher and then my hobby, which is Dungeons and Dragons or playing tabletop role-playing games. And this will happen, like new players and old players alike. And sometimes because just in the moment you're not feeling it where others just are, I think a lot of it is just being afraid to fail, wanting to do... Totally. It wanting makes you to freeze be right. up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have encountered this roadblock in my students as well as playing tabletop role-playing games, I've... I've tried starting with the concrete. I've tried to make choices for them as concrete as possible to get their creative juices flowing and then have them see that, hey, leaving your box, it's not scary. It, there's, there's no dynamic of success and failure here. It's, it's not right or wrong. The, the, Winning it's, or it's, losing. Yeah, it's a false dichotomy right there. And so taking a step towards creativity doesn't have to be about, am I doing it right? Is this right? Um, so starting off with more concrete choices might get them like training wheels on riding a bike. Can you give so, an example of kind of what you mean yeah, by that? Yeah, it, it could look like, hey, what color is the robe you're wearing? Um, what is one item in your robe's pocket? What's one way you like to use this item for other than its original intended purpose? So, you know, if you say you have a screwdriver in your pocket, okay, what's another way that you can use this? You tend to use the screwdriver that's not just, you know, and bolts. So the um, idea is that you're starting smaller and you're, hope, and you're hoping that the snowball, yeah. you snowball the creativity to get them kind of more like mm-hmm. the juice, like the gears moving. Yeah. Like, like where did you get this item? Right. Mm-hmm. And so they can practice telling me more of the, you know, telling me and the other players more of their background. And so later on in the session, then when I want them to try some more open, open-ended creative thinking and role play, um, I can give them the scenario and then I can say, you reach into your pocket and your fingers brush against that item that they talked about a little bit from mm-hmm. earlier. And then how do you want to use this? Oh, so you're, you're taking their answers that seem kind of innocuous or kind of random mm-hmm. and then you reward them from that creativity. Yeah, and you I'm making them the foreshadow. That's it's really great. Cool. So they're, they're participating with me in foreshadowing. You're rewarding them for, for yeah. being creative. That's really cool. And, I'm, and I've gone from getting them to answer and think in more concrete, simplistic, like answering what, when, where, who, yeah, and to more like broad strokes needing creative open-ended riskier thoughts, you know, answering how and why questions. You know, how do you want to do this? How do you want to use it? Why would you do this? What's next? That's a, that's a great way of reminding them and the players that, like you said, there's not a right or wrong answer. 
whatever you say is like canon now and we'll make that special mm-hmm. and we'll make it unique even though right now as you answer that your shoes are red whatever that might seem kind of random but then that color might come back to your backstory or might be the favorite color of an npc you meet in the future like that i think that's really cool about how you reward your characters that way and you work with them to co-world build together yeah and in, in my classroom, when I'm having my students write essays, for example, you know, a lot of times they don't know the right words to use or their minds are just not wanting to take that next step. They're unsure of themselves. And so, you know, especially for those moments, I will use something called sentence frames where, you know, I'll give them parts of sentences to build on in different types of analysis and they can fill it in with the details of their own reading or their like book of the author. <laughs> sort of it's like <laughs> academic mad libs and the idea is you know we start off with that in the year and by the end of the year they don't need them anymore because they found their voice they've used those sentence frames enough that they kind of get the formula they get the flow and now they can try it out for themselves and then they're discovering their own writing voice so in tabletop role playing you know when you start off with those concretes and do it enough, your players will start to understand their own voice, their own creative aspect, their own characters' choices that they like making, and have fun with it. That's awesome. I, I, I love that answer. Uh, do you have anything that you'd add? <laughs> you know, I've only DM'd a couple one-shots for friends. And you, once or twice. <laughs> those are fun. One-on-one sessions. Yeah, one-on-one sessions, which are which is how I am practicing right now because I'm super nervous. I, I I I feel I understand the question in the sense of as a DM, I'm worried about failing or doing something wrong and freezing up or or whatever, whatever, or just not being adequate and enough. I the only thing I could think of maybe is. Uh, the the friends who I'm playing with right now uh, have never played D&D before. Like, I'm the one bringing them in as an excuse to stay in contact with friends who are in a, a states away. Uh, and so it's me having to, like, introduce them to a game. They're players. It's a lot of information. And so sometimes when I'm like, you go into this, whatever, this person's house, sometimes they, they may not know the options they have available to them. And so sometimes mine is even maybe, I don't think it's a step backwards, but it's, it's even more simplistic about like, here's what you can do. You can look around the room. You can talk to a person. You can try and sneak away, whatever, whatever, whatever. You can lie. Uh, I think for them, it's just like they don't even know how the game works yet. And so for me, it's more mm-hmm. like I have to kind of give them four or five examples of things they could do to hopefully show them what the game of or what TTRPGs are like capable of. Right. I, I, and I, and I want to stop that eventually because I'm afraid like operatic muddle was saying is that you might end up somewhat kind of giving them the answer or telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering as opposed to what I want to do is give them the tools to know how to think for themselves later but right now I'm kind of just to introduce them and to help it not be so overwhelming. Right. I'm right. giving them examples of what they could do. So it's not even like the Mad Libs thing. It's more of like, here are just five possibilities. 
as an example of what you can do. Now, hopefully you don't take one of those. You can do, I mean, you, you could, but like do what you think is true to your character. So all I kind of say is like, um, I haven't got to the point yet where it's, I'm giving you the tools to be your own boss, to be your own yeah, player. It's I'm, more I'm, like, yeah. here's how the game works. Still. I'm so wary of doing that as a teacher. You know, I, some of the most creative work I've ever had turned in for different types of projects has been when I give them little to no examples, which is kind of funny because you would think like through through th- through showing examples, I'm uh, I'm making it more accessible. And that's why I always want to make sure I have that just for students who especially struggle with that, that conceptual part of their brain. Uh, but then they get stuck there. Yeah. A lot of times I will have students, though, where if I give them examples, you know, especially if I give them a plenty of examples, then they'll just copy that. They, yeah. they will almost be like, OK, this is what's expected of me. I have to do yeah. this. Uh, so I'm, I'm always wary of that. It's like I want to make it accessible. I want to, you know, give it to those. Uh, who who need it but at the same time I want to be able to engender creativity in a way I, I don't want to put a box where it doesn't need to be then how do I and I'm asking for myself now if I'm DMing someone and I and I throw out a prompt and it's met with crickets how do I prod them is it is it is it something just happening to them kind of yeah it depends on um, who you're playing with I mean sometimes it's like I have also played with people who had never played Dungeons and Dragons before. Kimmy. <laughs> uh, Kimmy, yes. But and other then it, too. And other people too. And sometimes it's uh, prompting them to roll something so I can give them a hint, mm, um, mm-hmm. but kind of staying within the mechanics of the game. So maybe that part of the cognitive process will, will wind around it. Uh, or inviting maybe some brain, like group brainstorming of not just what do all of you do together but if i point out two people it's like hey uh adam and kimmy what do you two do here in this moment you know it's charging at you so you're less likely to have that like dissociation of responsibility or what is it whatever it calls dispersion of responsibility you know if like i don't address any one person then everybody just thinks somebody else will pick it up oh yeah uh Mm uh-huh calling someone out yeah yeah make them just Stand in the moment, like go. just yeah. react really quickly. Also, just something that I'm trying to do better is, um, you know, rewarding, you know, just that that positive reinforcement. So rewarding moments where they are just stepping out and trying to be creative through like inspiration, for example. <laughs> yeah, you're you've been he, not that you've even been bad. You just forgot about inspiration yeah. or which is other moments like but something you, else might happen that I like they you, get treasure or they they you reward, have a cool interaction. I, you reward reward creativity by having it be a part of the story or bringing it back in right, a fun way yeah. or getting like a prize in game from that. So you, you reward that way, but you may forget sometimes to be like the Here's the plus one for inspiration, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you reward in other ways Yeah. Uh, to, to, it makes you as a player want to try harder and think outside the box and get weird and do weird things just to see what would happen. Right. I, I, I like how you just let me roll with um in, in this book when I, when we were trying to uncover the stupid treasure, we couldn't get it out of the hole. And I did Maximilian's uh, earthen grasp where a hand comes up to like reverse dig it, like to push it up almost. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's, 
And then I caused a fog cloud everywhere. <laughs> so that, that didn't go well. But. Yeah, I, I found that when I hold on to rules too tightly uh, at the expense of creativity, then that could hinder other people. From, totally. Because then, yeah, it's very easy to be like, oh, well. I'm it makes you not want to try then or do or to do I'm going to get stuff. it wrong. So I, yeah. I might as well not try. Where it's just like, hey, as long as you're not trying to overpower this game, as, lo- as long as you're not trying to break it, yeah. then let's work with it. Totally. Totally. So thank you, uh, Operatic Muddle, for, for yes, that answer and for being a patron. Uh, again, uh, jo- click the link below. You can check out the Patreon page. So that way you can give us answers that will shoot right to the top uh, that we can get to an answer on here, hopefully. Uh, I have two extra questions that I just wanted to ask sure. you uh, regarding this little one-shot arc. You had to, on very short notice, because uh, we were planning on doing Macbeth, whatever five or whatever it was and mm-hmm. all of a sudden Aaron, Aaron couldn't come he was traveling uh, last minute and so you pulled this out of your tushy uh, in like two days so my last question for you um, going along with that was like how did you create uh, a one shot on such short notice what are the elements or story beats that you know you want to be included when thinking about that choose the story once again, I'm story first. So I figured out Treasure Island. Then, okay, what are the beats of Treasure well, Island? Well, then how'd you choose that story? Like, what, what about well, that story? Well, I told story? you. So, so I was looking for a story that's easy to follow. Lighthearted, fun, Lighthearted. And, and also, it was, it was highly recommended for, by listeners. You know, I have my list of books and stories that are recommended by listeners and also how many times they've been recommended. And, mm-hmm. and this is by and far the one that had been requested and recommended the most times. And so it's like, well, this, this is a great one to use. Yeah. And then looking over the story itself, it's like, okay, what are the story beats? What are they mainly doing? Well, yeah. they're looking for a treasure. That's great. They're mostly on an island. Great, you know, because I don't like to use all of the the settings of a story. I like to choose one, maybe two you settings. You focus in, a story. in on like on a moment, yeah, kind of, you know, like the so prison. In Frankenstein, it was was the was the castle, um, or the you know, Monte Cristo was the prison. Yeah, Chateau d'If in, in Moby Dick, it was the the boat, and so you know, Gatsby was his mansion, the party. Yeah, yeah. the party. So for here, it's like it is. I'm choosing the island and specifically the part where they're searching for the buried treasure. So when it's a one shot, it tends to be hyper focus, hyper focus, very paced, keep going. Uh, so, you know, then it gives you a clear, you know, beginning, middle, end, right. Call to action, some travails in the meantime, and then you find the treasure and you dig it up and, you know, it, it simple happy ending doesn't have to like end on a cliffhanger. It doesn't have to, you know, be as, as deep as our typical adventures, uh, and so, okay, what are, what are one or two NPCs, you know, cause I, I knew like, okay, what, what's my attention span, uh, here? What, what's my ab- ability here to, to run right now? And the most I could, I knew I could mentally handle is two NPCs with you guys. So, mm-hmm. okay, what are two NPCs that we've had before that would make sense to come on the trip with us? So we need someone to kind of drive it who kind of has that piratey feel to them. That would be Millie. Um, and you know, she would have, I'd have to give her a reason for why she would want to go get this, this treasure that's on this island. Um, and then another person that would be really good to play off of that would have just been a recent meet for you guys and would, you know, bring a fun interaction and dynamic in here would be Crusoe. Uh, so great. I have my two NPCs. 
now let's figure out some encounters, um, you know, and keep it simple since this is a, this is a one shot. We, and knowing how we are, you know, since we're very character driven and we have a lot of great moments that are focused on talking to one another. Great. Let's have the beats of, you know, uh, you, you get the call to action. You have a natural, you know, potential encounter with with the bog or the you know uh-huh, the, pits, or the dark brackish yeah. water that could suck you in um the sudden deluge of of the storm that you guys take shelter under uh you know talking to one another and having you know playing playing a game by the the fire and then the the final the final two kind of like mind games of finding said treasure and then getting it up so those were kind of easier story beats that you would yeah. typically see in gotcha. this this style of adventure, and then filling it in with what what would make it interesting to talk to you guys, uh, you know, to interplay with you guys. And then I always love world building with my characters, you know, involving you guys in that. It's a bit of a lazy DM move, you know, kind of like Well, a, it helps your character, I mean, maybe, but also helps your characters feel like they're in, Yeah, in, in yeah, and, and I want you guys to have autonomy here. So it, there is that. It's not all just a cop-out, but it is a great move for if you're like, hey, hey, DMs out there, GMs, uh, if if you're just kind of low on energy or you, you could use, you know, uh, more buy-in from your characters, have them world build with you or for you guys. Uh, Put the impetus on them. Treehouse build. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun to start off with. Just a little bit more giving, giving, fleshing out this, this world and giving more life, especially to this place that you guys intermittently call home uh, on the island. So it sounds like for creating a one shot, there's the, the usual beats that you would have there. It sounds like you have the introduction or establishing your characters, the call to adventure for a thing. Uh, you got to find a thing. Something bad has happened. You have that kind of twist. And then you have like an encounter or two, whether it's with like a person or uh, dangerous terrain. Yeah. Then and for you a have one like shot, a tr- I, would, I would keep it a maximum three. And then you have like a twist or a turn and then it's over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keep it short because if you do too many, I mean, God, the, the, our one shot turned into a two shot kind of, even though we, we it was yeah, the same one the, night recording. Yeah, because the typical lengths that we have for our episodes, yeah, it turned into two episodes. But we did, we were able to record it all in one night. I, I will say when we started doing the never have I ever, or no, no, would you rather, I thought, it was dragging the recording, but I appreciated in hindsight, and especially when we made it two episodes, when I was thought it was going to be one episode, I was like, man, we're really dragging here. But when it ended up being two, I appreciated saving room for, uh, for character to come across. I don't yeah. want it to just be like mm-hmm. action, action, action. You, you, you flung an arrow and you slashed a sword and now you're done. Uh, I need to get some character stuff across. The character stuff is big for me i think that's very vital so even for something that is seen as hey get in get out go as a one shot that's more controlled pacing that's moving things along if you can weave in moments and chances for the characters to reveal more of themselves and to interact and to develop themselves like even not just for the benefit of one another knowing knowing each other but for them to get to know their own character more even if it seems like a quiet slow moment 
it's well worth it in the long run, especially if you're running a one shot kind of in between larger adventures, which many people do kind of as a, an interplay and getting, getting their feet under them. Now that we've, you've kind of walked us through your creative process of how you create very quickly one shots. I have a game for you. Oh, funny that you had a game for me or I turned it into a game for me. I have a game for you to test your DM or to test your master teacher knowledge. Okay. I don't want you to think too long on this. Okay. I want you to like very quickly gut reaction a sentence or two. Okay. I'm going to give you a book and you tell me how you would uh, very quickly come up with a one shot oh, in said no. book. Okay. I This, this is where sure, my imposter syndrome kicks pretty in. Pretty <laughs> sure you've read all these and or taught them to your students. I got like six. Six? So okay. very quickly. Okay. Going off of what you talked about, about narrowing in, picking a moment, maybe okay. some characters okay. involved. You okay. ready? Yeah. Yeah. Number one, the catcher in the rye. Okay. Uh, I, I probably would choose... Shit. <laughs> shit, shit, shit. Um, <laughs> This is such a sad story that's like not action driven. I I guess I would be like navigate your way navigate your way from point A to point B um in New York City or a city that's like New York uh using like the cab system. Because cab cab drivers are a big thing on here. Um and you're trying to Get to Holden before he hurts himself. Wow. Oh, man, this is so cool. I'm loving this already. Number two, Little Women. Oh, yay. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yay. Oh, no. I, I mean, it definitely would be at, at the, the Orchard Cottage. Okay. Um, I think this would be like a more like lighthearted thing, but probably so the sisters throw... Uh, little plays for themselves. And yeah. If you, if you, you guys are each one of the sisters, the March sisters, and you have to put on a play together. Ad oh, hoc. I love this so mm-hmm. much. I'm giving us ideas for future stories, by the way. <laughs> okay. Anything else for that Now one? we're going to have a wealth of one shots. Yes. Um, 1984. Oh, Orwell. Okay. I love, by the way, how one of the things I like about our show is that how you match genre for the most part, depending on what the story is that we're doing. And I love how we've tried to do that. It's not like all just mm. dark and sad every time. It's like, this is more kind of fun or yeah. adventure or this one's like. But speaking of dark and sad, 1984. Yeah, 1984 is uh, sad. I, I would do the interrogation rooms, the the uh, the brainwashing rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your job is you guys are separated into different brainwashing rooms and you know they're somewhere in there and you have to figure out a way to get out. Sounds um, kind of very much like the, uh, when we were doing the therapy sessions with Millie or not Millie with um, uh, uh, Marion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. Uh, three more. Fahrenheit 451. Ooh. Uh, I would do a, a a fun scene to do would be like the chase scene at the end uh, when Guy Montag is is escaping the main city and making his way to the 
the, the people who memorize books, I forget their names, uh, but they live on the outskirts of, of society. Mm-hmm. But he's being pursued by these, these firefighters. <laughs> I guess you can call them firemen. Um, and so you, you have to make it through a cityscape um, kind of a dystopian, futuristic cityscape like you have in Fahrenheit 451 outside of the city to the book people. And y- the more books you can collect on your way and save from houses, like either Ooh. you're going to get something for that. But it's like kind of like a, a goal is to not just like make it outside of the city um, but to save before you're caught, you but to save books as you go. Pride and Prejudice. Oh, my gosh. Um Okay. <laughs> You're four Mr. Darcy's. <laughs> Dueling Darcy's. All of you are Mr. Darcy and you you must you, have you the tense last your hand. <laughs> who can, who can encapsulate the female gaze the best? <laughs> Um, it would be interesting to to actually have it like take place after and it's like it's the wedding between uh Elizabeth and Fitzwilliam Darcy mm. and uh, the is she the countess or whoever, whoever Darcy's uh, is she his godmother or something but the the dowager old old lady who doesn't want them to be together because she's like you're below us anyways mm. she's trying to stop this wedding from happening and so you are guests at the wedding and you're trying to like keep it happening you're, you're trying to like stop Oh. Anybody from, um, I guess, sabotaging the wedding. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Dear listeners, I've talked to Caitlin for since we started this podcast about how one of our episodes, our campaigns needs to be at a wedding. So this <laughs> might be a future thing that happens because <laughs> all I, of these are possible. Whatever reason, things. I want to do a wedding uh, mishap and something a little bit more lighthearted and, and fun. <laughs> You're like, please, something happy. <laughs> something happy. Something. As I lay down. I thought you were going to say something along the lines of uh, you're at one of the, the parties. It might might have felt a little too like Gatsby. But those dances where you have to look look up, oh my gosh, lock to, eyes across the room. Well, hey, that might be dances. like a side thing because they do. I mean, they would still have those dances at the wedding. You gotta lock eyes and quietly just gaze. Do the keyhole dance. Yeah. Oh yes. All right, last one. I mean, come on, of mice and men. Okay, you're migrant workers. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? I, I, if I, if I, trying if, to tend the, how many rabbits can you tend? Oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. So <laughs> there's a daytime, there's a daytime sequence where you're migrant workers and you're new to this job. And I'll just like have different things, like kind of slice of life parts of the job on the ranch. But the nighttime, it's a dreamscape and you have your dream land with all the rabbits to tend. It's like one of those. It's like one of those video games where you know you have like nighttime, daytime, and uh-huh. like you know. So the dreamscape will be the rabbits. Oh my god, I love all these. Can we please do all of these stories at some point on this podcast? Okay. <laughs> Maybe not in this. Not in I this storyline. Like everybody's like, let's do this, and me, the DM, who's like, creating <laughs> from scratch. I'm like, okay. So much. So much. So many stories. I'll, don't worry, I'll give you some more books. I, I like this segment. I like seeing how you would do future stories or whatever. I'll toss them. And it's so funny because you could do these books a million different ways. 
Because like if you did, if you did Little Women in our world that we're doing right now it would be very different because you have to fit it in with the other things of our world, like Green Hoods and and you know all <laughs> the other characters right. that existed, as opposed to no, this is a straight up one shot that's like by itself that stands alone. Now you are like the sisters or whatever. I think that's mm-hmm. very different. So this you can do this so many ways, but I love that little exercise. That yeah, was, thanks for that. That was a great idea. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, and with that, I think we can start uh, wrapping up. So as a call to action for you all, dear sweet listeners out there, uh, I want to remind you once more that we have a Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com in search of Mice and Men and Monsters, or again, look in the description of this box. Click that link. And you can click that link. We have uh, bonus episodes. We have extended book reports that the, the, your regular audience doesn't get. We have... Um, after show. Yeah, after show. Right after we, we do a recording of an episode, we stay on afterwards and talk about what we just did, about theories or how the recording went and our favorite moments, behind the scenes stuff. We have uh, First Chapter Fridays where we alternate where one of us reads the first chapters of some of our favorite books. Mm-hmm. We have so much bonus content on there, let alone, I mean, you can just talk to us all the time because we love engaging with our listeners and you can talk to us on our on our uh, Discord channel. Um, so yeah, we just love getting to engage with you all and we think all the, I think we have, we've only launched it about a month ago and we already have 10, 11, 12 patrons and hoping to keep growing and we just love getting to meet all of you on there. We love you guys so much. So patrons already, God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And for those soon to be patrons out there, mm-hmm. please come check it out and see what we have to offer. Join the Omam Mam fam. The Omam Mam fam. Yes. Uh, you can reach out to us on email at Omam Show uh, oh, oh at gmail.com. Uh, also on social we're on media, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, Instagram we're on, on TikTok, TikTok, I think. And so they're all at uh, Oh Mam Mam Show. Uh, you can also find us on just, we have a website where you can oh, kind yeah. of have it all come together. Um, and I believe that is omamamshow.com. I think also omamam.com works, we, but omamamshow oh, works. Both. We took both. We, we own both of those. Oh, ma'am, ma'am, <laughs> show. We try to have omamamshow oh, show just across the board work for everything. And please, it really helps if you can rate and review us on Apple or wherever you <gasps> yes, listen. Yes, yes, if yes. If you uh, take a few seconds to give us however many stars you think uh, we're worth and also to, to, to leave a comment below, it really helps us push the algorithm. It helps kind of Bring us up tears so that way more people can find us. Uh, and as a thank you, if you leave us a review, we uh, read those in the mid rolls of our episodes. So that yeah, way you can I get hear to feature words. your words. Yeah, you can use we can hear your words through Caitlin's mouth. Uh, and the last thing that you can do that also really helps is just share us with uh, our podcast with your friends mm-hmm. because. It's one thing if it's coming from strangers like us. It's a different thing if it comes through a trusted source like a friend who with a similar taste, who loves D&D, loves literature, loves comedy podcasts, uh, whatnot. That yeah. Really so so for this one, if you have a friend who likes pirates, if you have a friend who uh, likes adventure stories, if you have a friend that uh, is just starting into the tabletop role-playing worlds. If you have a friend that fits all three of those, uh, great. Who also likes sexy robot butlers. Oh, yeah? Then, by all means, share this show with them. They might love it. Exactly. We would be appreciative, and I'm sure your friend would be as well, to uh, 
find our show. Mm-hmm. Anyways, with that, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Caitlin, for guiding us through uh, another book. My pleasure. And we will see you all as we continue Macbeth. Dun, dun, dun. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. This season on Civilized. Or not, it's improvised, so you don't know. Barty, please, no! It has to be done for the good of the children. Captain, is it Beatrix or Beatrice? I'm so confused. I'll tell you who it is. It's your mother! I have summited the mountain, and I declare this land for my own. Barty, get down from the roof! Every time. I can't believe we made it into space, Beatrice! Yeah, it's been a long time coming, Al. Wait, which version are you? Um, which version are you? (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying we've been on Earth the whole time? Yeah, man, it's like just a simulation. Actually, we've been dead the whole time. Actually, this is lost. Actually, I'm lost. We only have five seconds to defuse this bomb. When when you started saying that or at the end of saying that? Sound of explosion. (laughs) (laughs) So join us on Civilized Season 5 for this stuff that might happen, but probably a lot of it won't. Regardless, we're back with your favorite characters doing zany things in space and we couldn't be more pumped we'll see you soon listeners civilized season five begins may 31st 2023 tune in wherever you get your podcasts or visit civilizedpod.com that got weird because <laughs> usually they're pretty normal <laughs> yeah